Well, greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut. It is, in fact, the final open and shut episode for the season with Jeffrey Hess. And I had a great conversation with uh, Jeffrey Hess, who writes some noir and short stories, and we're going to talk about those, specifically his Beachhead trilogy uh, starring uh, Scotland Ross, as well as a new book coming out in June that I'll let him share with you. But before we get to Jeffrey, uh, I do need to let you know that uh, this podcast has long been sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, much of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If that's the kind of stuff you like, and that kind of stuff includes the work of my guest, Jeffrey Hess, uh, who is a Down and Out author... Uh, then you should go to their website, downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com. Down and Out Books, take the journey with us. Now, in addition to publishing uh, this episode's guest, Jeffrey Hess, Down and Out Books publishes A Grifter's Song, which is a serial novella anthology that I created, edit, and sometimes contribute to. Features a pair of grifters, Sam and Rachel, Every episode uh, is novella length, takes place in a different location with a self-contained story that is resolved each time, Uh, but there are some overarching season and series arcs uh, in the background as well. The most recent episode, episode number 27, was released on June 1st, as you've probably already heard on this show. That is Paul J. Garth's The Low White Plain, and uh, very beautifully written, very lush language. Uh, You should read it just for the words, uh, and certainly for the story as well. So, The Low White Plain, episode 27 of A Grifter's Song from Paul J. Garth, uh, published by Down and Out Books, your sponsor for this program. As I mentioned, they also publish uh, Jeffrey Hess's work, and uh, let's dive right in and and learn all about the Beachhead Trilogy, uh, Jeffrey's short story work, uh, and his new book. Well, hello, Jeffrey. Welcome to the show. Hey there, Frank. Great to be here, man. Thanks. I appreciate you having me. I'm a huge fan of the show. Well, I appreciate that. I'm actually surprised we haven't crossed paths more often, uh, given that a Venn diagram of our associates would have a very large middle section. Well, I just don't get out much. (laughs) I don't think any of us do right (laughs) the last couple of years. Um, one of the things I'm referring to, of course, is uh, we both had a uh, years-long association with Down and Out Books, and a lot of the the authors that uh, that are published there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's where uh, I first met you was um, was at BoucherCon. Eric Campbell introduced us. Was that in St. Petersburg? I believe it was. Yeah, that was my first ever BoucherCon. I'd never been to that particular conference before, so it was a good one to to be the first. Yeah, that's where I picked up a copy of Fallen City that you uh, you had signed for me. Oh, yeah. That's a book I wrote with Lawrence Kelter. That was a fun one. I don't um, know how you keep track of all the ones you write. You're uh, you're up to like <laughs> three dozen now, aren't you? Uh, thereabouts. Thereabouts. <laughs> well, you've written quite a few books yourself and uh, even more when you throw in short stories and anthologies. And I definitely want to talk about that. Uh, but I always like to ask the guess a little bit about their background and 
it looks to me that you've been writing for a long time in one capacity or another and for a number of different organizations. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I started out in college as a creative writing major. And then somewhere around my junior year, I realized that uh, there was no way you can make a living with a creative writing major. So I switched <laughs> to professional and technical writing. Although even um, at the, my freshman years, the whole reason I pursued creative writing was I uh, had the fortune of meeting Randy Wayne White uh, outside the bookstore one day. And he was selling Sanibel Flats, his first novel in the Doc Ford series. And we start, struck up a conversation, you know, because I told him, hey, I want to be a writer someday too. And he said, well, you're in the perfect place to do it. You know, college is a place where you can study writing. And I had no idea. I was, you know, fresh out of the Navy. I had no idea that you could, you could study creative writing in uh, um, college. And so next thing you know, I'm a creative writing major. Next thing you know, I realized, hey, I need a, a career path. So I ended up uh, switching to professional technical writing and, uh, you know, got the job right out of, um, well, first before that, I got an internship at the Tampa Tribune because, I, you know, the journalism was something that was always interesting to me as well. Uh, and the, the writing background helped. But the, um, the funniest thing was right after I graduated high school, I got to uh, go to Italy uh, for four months uh, with uh, my girlfriend, then my now wife. And um, for four months, I freelanced some articles, and that's where I began my first novel, and that was uh, 1994, the wow. summer after I graduated college. So that's where it all began, and I've just been pursuing it ever since. You know, I started that first novel in 94, and I haven't stopped. I've been just, um, you know, constantly, uh, you know, nights and weekends working, uh, trying to get the, um, the ball rolling, so to speak. And then three books in a drawer, I finally wrote Beachhead, and that's when... Um, I met Eric Campbell at Down and Out Books, and that was the first novel that it sold and published, and I've been off and running ever since. Well, swinging back around to your time in Italy really quick, uh, were you in a particular location or bouncing all around the country? Yeah, we were in the northern part between uh, Venice and Verona uh, mm-hmm. in the lake area of uh, Lake Garda. It's known as Lago di Garda. Yeah, the whole time spent there, uh, my wife's a figure skater, and she uh, was working at a... Um, like a tourist uh, water park doing an ice show there. And so I got to go along. Uh, it was just perfect timing. It worked out. And uh, I began my freelancing and uh, a novel career there. Then you wrote for the newspaper and eventually your first book published by Down Out Books, which is based down there in Florida. So uh, you're in a really nice position in that if you have a uh, question, conversation, dispute or whatever with your publisher, you can go knock on on a door with a very short trip. <laughs> Not many people can say that. <laughs> you know, pre-pandemic, it was a lot easier. Eric and I would get together for coffee and you know, sometimes taking like a spring training baseball game or something. But these days it's been a little bit, well, in the last couple of years anyway, it's been a little bit removed. But yeah, they're they're the greatest guys in the world, easily uh, accessible and uh, very communicative and, uh, you know, genuinely hands-on and, and the caring involved is something that's always uh, really been something that I appreciate about the way they do business. Well, when they published uh, Beachhead, this was the first of uh, of a trilogy that features Scotland Ross. What can you tell me about Scotland Ross? Uh, exactly what's going on in these books? And where would you put them on the scale of, you know, are these PI novels? Are they procedurals? Are they noir? Are they a little bit of all of the above? Uh, mostly noir. Uh, that's where I hang my hat pretty heavily because, in my opinion, the... Um, the protagonist that is willfully and purposefully getting himself deeper into trouble, you know, doing the wrong things for the right reasons. And Scotland Ross is a guy who, um, Beachhead is set in 1980. 
So just to give you a little background, you know, it's, it's, it travels way back in time to 1980, a time that, you know, most of us remember a lot of the new readers have no clue about. So I like to uh, set my stories in places that I'm familiar with. And I, I grew up in Southwest Florida. So I set the books there. And, and Scotland Ross is a guy who was uh, also had a Navy background, who was on a, on a different side of things after um, spending some time in Leavenworth. Uh, the Navy prison. So as a, a Navy prison parolee, he gets out and he wants to, you know, start fresh, you know, have a new life. And so he goes to Florida to uh, meet up with his sister who lives there now. And uh, she ends up getting in trouble. He tries to do some things to help, gets in deeper. He ends up involved with a redneck gangster who has designs on being Florida's next governor. And it snowballs from there and gets out of control a little bit. But, you know, that's the way... Uh, it's fun sometimes. So would you say that Scotland is in his own mind, he's a little bit of a, of a white knight if, if tarnished. Yes. That's very noir. <laughs> it's definitely very noir. And, and you, you've written three books with this same character. The second one being Tushog, which I got to tell you, I am at a loss for what that means. I, I could most definitely guess a few things and I'd probably be terribly wrong two times out of three. But what uh, what does Tushog mean? Well, Tushog is a term that I uh, borrowed from Daniel Woodrell, who's probably, if not the, at least one of the uh, my most uh, favorite writers. And he uses the term frequently. And so it's, it, it represents uh, someone who uh, either finishes fights or someone who steals from thieves. Hmm. And it can be used either way. And so the original title was Tush Hogged with an ED on the end, but um, uh, Lance basically pointed out to me that it would be better as Tush Hog. And so since all the books are a double H in the middle with Beachhead, Tush Hog, and Rough House, um, it's kind of um, a discreet way of honoring a deceased uh, uncle of mine, Henry Hess. And um, so I just kind of ran with it. He was a big supporter of my writing and a big fan. So it was a little way to, uh, to honor him. That's a neat convention. You call it the Beachhead uh, Trilogy. Uh, is that what you're calling it now because there's only three books? Or did you did you wrap this up and are moving on to other things? Or where, where's where is Scotland Ross in terms of his journey? Well, that's a, that's a good question because I've, I've never said never. You know, I, I kind of planned on it being a trilogy back in the beginning. I saw it that way, but I've never said never. So I'm not going to close the door completely. But in, in my mind, it's pretty much uh, done, at least at this point. But I do reserve the right to it someday resurrect. <laughs> but uh, yeah, calling it the Beachhead Trilogy is just something that's just easier than naming all three titles. And so far, I haven't come across anyone who's come up with a, a better <laughs> a better name for the, the trilogy, you know, like uh, Woodrell's Bayou Trilogy. I haven't come up with anything like that yet. So I just run with the Beachhead Trilogy. Yeah, I mean, Scotland Ross Trilogy, I guess, would be the other option, and Beachhead Trilogy kind of has a cool ring to it. So, uh, But you're not just uh, a novelist, and, and we're going to talk about another book that you have coming out here really shortly. But I did want to touch on the fact that you have done what, uh, you know, some, some people, they focus strictly on novels. Other people focus strictly on short stories. Uh, there are those of us who dabble in both and, and some more prolifically. And you've done a fair number of, of short stories. And in fact, we've almost been in an anthology together. Uh, we kind of were anyway. Uh, Lawrence Kelter put out one a few years ago called Black Car Business. 
and he had so many writers in it that he had to break it into two different volumes. And you're in volume one. Now, I'm in volume two. So I don't know if that counts as being in the same anthology. <laughs> it's the same family, right? <laughs> what was your story in that, by the way? In the black car business, it was um, a little bit of the opening of Tush Hog, where um, Scotland Ross is getting out of prison. So yeah, that was uh, that was a fun one to write. And it ended up, uh, it was started as a story. The character ended up being Scotland Ross. And next thing you know, it's, it's um, part of the, the novel. So it worked out pretty good. That's very serendipitous. You were in a Jimmy Buffett anthology too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was. That is called The Great Filling Station Holdup, edited by Josh Pack- Patcher. Pactor. Mm-hmm. What was your story there? I mean, th- these were stories I think that were inspired by the songs of Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, yeah, inspired by and titled after. And so mine was The Pascagoula Run which is kind of a, a little known Jimmy Buffett song, but one that always stuck out in my mind because when I was stationed in, uh, when I was in the Navy, I was stationed in Pascagoula uh, for a year while my ship was being built. And so I had, that was a natural choice for me to want to get. Yeah. And uh, it was a lot of fun to write. You know, short stories and particularly anthologies. Uh, you, you, do you enjoy that? Is that uh, what, what's the draw versus writing a full length novel? Well, that's where I got my start, basically, in, in undergrad. I was doing a lot of short stories, you know, obviously for the workshop model, it just it's a lot easier. And it just kind of stuck with me. I fell in love with the form. And, you know, that's where uh, the creative writing thing really took root. And it was a whole different ballgame, you know, more of the literary side that I found I, I didn't have a good fit with, but I enjoyed the stories. And so I tried to emulate, you know, like everybody that, you know, uh, that I knew at the time was trying to be Raymond Carver. And um, it didn't work for me, obviously, um, but I tried. And um, then I found the stories of uh, T.C. Boyle, which uh, kind of opened my eyes into what could be done. And it, that book itself was obviously still literary, but it's, it, it had elements of, you know, youthful rebellion and crime. And so I, I got uh, leaned heavily into that. And then uh, at some point, you know, I discovered, you know, the, the whole noir canon. And, and kind of fell in head first and I've been swimming ever since. But short stories always remain kind of a, I don't want to say a palate cleanser, but always a, um, a shift of gears in between novels. Because I get, I'm very slow uh, when I write a novel. I mean, it's, it's rare if I can bust out a novel faster than two years. And I know that's uh, the opposite of a lot of writers in the crime game. But I'm slow. I'm notoriously slow. I tend to, to write twice as many words as needed. So for an 80,000-word novel, I've easily written 160,000 words and had to strike, you know, half of them out. And that doesn't mean, that, you know, it was a, you know, a four, 600-page book. It just, it was trial and error. I'd go down wrong paths and have to double back. Or I'd write the same scene two different ways, three different ways, and have to cross it out. So anyway, long story short, no pun intended, short stories are more fun uh, in between because they're not as time-consuming. And I can't get too lost or get my, my head up too far up my own ass. So it's a lot, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a weekend fling instead of a marriage. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great analogy too. the, the brief assignation versus a, a marriage, because you do spend time with a, a full length novel. There's something very satisfying, I think, to having an idea and then writing it in one or two sittings and having that idea come to life and be finished. It's a finished piece of work. And when you're writing a book, you can only say that about a chapter or a scene, and it's not the same as putting the end 
uh, you know, on, on something. So that's the draw. And I only rediscovered that a few years ago. I had not written any short work for a good decade, and I kind of forgot how how good that felt. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we were talking about working out, you know, uh, before, and the whole concept is like, you know, sometimes you go to the gym, you want to spend two hours there. Other times you just want to bust it, you know, do something high intensity, get in and out in 20 minutes, you know, and it's still uh, highly beneficial, still great for you. And so that's kind of the way I look at it. Uh, anything coming up in the works, short story-wise? Short story-wise, I've got a couple uh, that are done. Um, I wrote them around the same time that I wrote um, The Past Google to Run, but I haven't found a home for them yet. One is about a um, 1940s era teenager who goes out looking for adventure and ends up meeting a killer. And the other one is a title called uh, Rhymes with Becky. And it features a, uh, a private investigator uh, who uh, prevents a school shooting. And it's actually um, another story that started as a story that's going to end up uh, that I'm elaborating on and becoming a novel. This is becoming a pattern for you. <laughs> you know, and that's one of the beauties of it, too. You know, you get to uh, test drive something before you uh, you lease it or buy it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and some stories, you know, I mean, every story has its own best natural length, I think. And some stories we may originally think of as uh, as a short story when they pop in our heads and we first start to develop them. And then you discover, hey, I can't do this justice in 2,000 words. This needs to be 8,000 words or this needs to be a novella or in some cases a book. Absolutely. Uh, well, speaking of books, we're almost to the point of talking about your new one that's coming out. Uh, tease, tease, tease. But I wanted to talk about one other thing first because I think it's pretty cool. And that is uh, you are part of a writer's workshop, the DD214 Writer's Workshop, which any veteran out there knows exactly what that's referring to. But maybe you could illuminate those civilians out there who don't know. Yeah, sure. That was... Um... When I graduated uh, grad school, I wanted to teach uh, creative writing, but all the jobs were geared towards, obviously, you know, teaching comp one, comp two, and some literature courses. But all I wanted to focus on was creative writing. And so I decided to start my own workshop. And I figured the only way to do it is to do it. So I sent back then a, a fax of a news release letting the Tampa Tribune, the now defunct Tampa Tribune, where I interned, uh, let them know that, uh, you know, Navy veteran is starting a, a creative writing workshop for veterans. And, um, you know, so I always talk about the concept of teaching as a way of, of giving back because I was so lucky to have so many good teachers um, that I wanted to share that without them having to go through, the, you know, jump through the hoops and go through the process. So it was just easier for somebody to, um, you know, to come get the, the feedback and the encouragement and some instruction uh, without having to uh, commit to any long-term or any in-depth academia environment. And that was 2007. And here we are, you know, almost 15 years later and still going, still going strong. And the, the pandemic was something that I thought would set us back because we were meeting in person, obviously, all those years until the pandemic. And we started doing it online. And it's it's worked out pretty well, um, had um, excellent participation Everybody that's come and gone over the last couple of years, at least, I mean, we've actually opened up to uh, out-of-state participants now because we're doing it online, so I figured, why not? And I was approached by somebody in Ohio, so he wanted to join. And so um, I have a screening process and, you know, requirements to get in. 
and uh, he met the criteria. And so we've been, uh, you know, interstate now. So it's pretty, uh, pretty fun to do. And so does someone need to show their DD-214 to be able to join? I mean, is it truly a veterans only group or is, is it loosened up over the years? It's, um, it's largely veteran only, but I have had some dependents and, um, I don't make them show me their DD-14. Sometimes they, you know, they, they black out the social security number and send it to me anyway. But if, if they talk, you know, the, if they talk the talk and I believe them and they, because uh, again, everybody in the group has a bullshit detector and they'll know if somebody's trying to get something over on us. But usually it's, it's, it, hasn't been, it's, it hasn't really been a problem. For those listeners who aren't familiar with uh, what a DD-214 is, that is the uh, essentially your discharge papers uh, is the easiest way to describe it. And it's the one that says you have an honorable discharge or if you're unfortunate uh, Scotland Ross sort of guy, then it says something different. But uh, so how would you characterize this writing workshop? Is it uh, instructor led? Is it uh, more like a writing group that gets together, a combination of both? Yeah, it's a combination of both. It's um, the workshop model that I use is the one that I, I had in grad school. And so there's the, the teacher who usually goes last in, in, in the, the roundtable discussion. But what we do is we have one weekly submission and it's uh, up to 20, 25 pages tops for, for prose, uh, no more than 10 pages for poetry. Um, and so we have the submission that everybody has read over the weekend because we meet every Wednesday and submissions due by Saturday. So they have uh, five days to uh, to read and critique, roughly you know three to five thousand. That's 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 pretty workable. And then we discuss. Is everybody participate? Uh, is it kind of required that you say something about what you read? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because that's the the only way to have your work critiqued is if you participate in the critique of others, because that's really half the learning process mm-hmm. is you know evaluating other writing. Mm-hmm. And so um, so I teach that as well as applying it to when they, they read for pleasure, because, you know, at a certain point you're reading to learn, you're not just reading to, to, you know, kick back and have fun. You want to learn from what you read as well and incorporate the benefits of that into your own writing. And so I incorporate that into the workshop model as well, but then I also support it with handouts of either um, articles or um, chapters from craft textbooks. And then sometimes, um, samples uh, excerpts from published work that are you know when they i find something that they're the author's doing that the 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 participant in the workshop is trying to do and we close read that and use it as an example that's a good that's a good uh, methodology so if if you're a veteran out there and might be interested in uh, learning more about this or even uh, taking part uh, where should where should you go Uh, for that they would go to uh, dd214 writers dot org dd214 w-r-i-t-e-r-s dot org and they can find out all the information there and uh, send me an email if they like excellent excellent well uh all the teasing is is finished the big moment is here i want to talk about your newest book that will be out on june 20th and this one is called scar tissue what can you tell me about it well scar tissue involves a um a 40-year-old uh, self-cutting workaholic who abandons everything she owns for a stripper with a death wish. Now, it's funny because um, <laughs> not what you're expecting, right? Well, I mean, it's, there's a lot of, yeah, there's about four things in there that I wasn't expecting. Uh, there's some very interesting, uh, uh, haven't heard it quite that way before 
things in there for sure. Well, it's funny because, you know, one of your episodes, uh, you did an interview with Kevin Tipple. And somehow in the conversation, uh, it came up that um, one of the two of you, I don't remember which, mentioned a cozy reader stumbling upon a super bloody sex-filled fight fest (laughs) and getting upset and writing a bad review. Well, for everybody out there, make no mistake, this is a super bloody sex-filled fight fest. So hopefully there's no confusion. It's a little bit odd. It's a little bit different. Well, and and if I heard you right, the your protagonist is female. It is, yeah. But uh, there's two co-protagonists that are, are both female. What kind of a journey are you putting these characters through? I mean, it sounds like one of them is uh, is a little bit in the savior mode, but the other one is, uh, I, I doubt, is a classic victim. That's exactly right. They're 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 on a collision course. They're both damaged. They both have issues. But again, the one who you would think is the one who's going down the wrong path isn't because the other one is going down an even worse path. And mm-hmm. so it ends up being a, you know, it's kind of a love story. It's kind of a, um, an argument of, you know, people's rights in a way, because, um, you know, there's the whole issue of, of the right to die movement and the whole, um, concept of freedom to, uh, to have bizarre habits or, or hobbies, if you will. And so I just kind of um, went down a road with them. I didn't know what to expect. It was just something that came to me uh, in a line. The, 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 the line was, how did you get that scar? And I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it was about or where it was going, but I pursued it. And this has been a book that's been in, in development over the last 20 years. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I started this around um, 2000, 2001. And I'd work a, work a draft, put it away, work on a draft, put it away. It came close in a number of different iterations at a number of different places. It was actually my thesis in grad school. Again, after that, I would work on it, put it away. At the time, originally, it was a male and a female. And at some point, a friend of mine brought up something to me, another writer, Kevin Jones, Kevin C. Jones, who has a short story collection, Collateral Damage Out. He recommended uh, considering, well, first we were joking about it back in the day when vampire novels were huge, even though they still are. He said, well, there's blood involved. You should make it a vampire. And I said, no, I, I can't do that. And he said, well, uh, I could see it being women. And so I started thinking about it, and it, it, it instantly made it more compelling to me. And so I, I looked at it, you know, changed a few pronouns and said, this could work. And so I rewrote the whole book, and it turned out to be um, the scar tissue that we have coming out uh, soon. That's really interesting that it it was with you for so long. I write some stuff under my given name, and I just back uh, March fifteenth had a book come out, uh, a novella called A Village of Strangers, and that was a story that really was with me since like two thousand and three, and certainly mostly fully formed for a good fifteen years. And the thing that I wondered about was, would this story that's been in my head, and of course, when it's in your head, it's a masterpiece, right? Uh, It's the most compelling fiction anyone ever wrote, and the storytelling is perfect, and everything hits every note, and so forth. I always wondered if, when I finally wrote it, if it would, you know, if it would live up to what it was in my own head. Was that an obstacle that, uh, that you dealt with throughout the process? Well, I love that concept, and I love that that kind of dream state where everything is perfect but for this one no i didn't have 
a clear concept of what was going to happen until I finished the first draft. And when I did, that first draft was was pretty much shit to begin with. So I had to go back and rewrite it again. And and so just over time and over time, I was just it was just a, a constant uh, concept of discovery. I didn't have a, a vision in my head or, or a plan, um, which is good and bad, right? Because writing to an outline is one thing, but writing by the seat of your pants is a completely other. So again, that's why it took 20 years to mm-hmm. come out fully formed. It's, you know, uh, it's, it's a damaged uh, child, so to speak, that uh, ends up uh, getting his GED. It's the way I look at it. <laughs> well, it's just a really good example right there of how not only is everyone's process different, but just about every project has its own process that's different in some way. Uh, sure. I'm just glad this isn't the the way I do every book. <laughs> Why is that? I got you. No plan, no, uh, no um, expedited way of doing any of it. It was just... Um, trial and error over and over and over again. And, and one thing would lead to another. And that's why it's so weird because I didn't limit myself. I didn't uh, censor myself and it, um, it came out. Uh, I'm very happy with it. Are you at all concerned about being a white male of middle age, writing a female character who, if it's a little bit of a love story, then you're, you're writing at least one of them uh, as lesbian. There's a, a, you know, a lot of discussion of appropriation and own stories. And did that concern you or come up or not? No, it doesn't concern me at all. I mean, if there's, if there's backlash, that's fine because some people are closed minded and they think that they can dictate what people should and should not write about. And I don't think there's any limitation to art and I don't believe in censorship in any form. So I, you know, especially having written a, another novel, uh, No Salvation, with a uh, an African American protagonist, I, you know, expected to get some heat from that, but um, that's been pretty smooth sailing. But yeah, with uh, with women and, and, and lesbians at that, I, I didn't have a problem because I just I try to stay true to the the nature of the characters. You know, my old line is that um, I'm endlessly fascinated by the lives of others, and so I've always tried to, you know guess what goes on behind closed doors and I'm, I'm constantly uh what people would call nosy uh so I'm, I'm i'm eavesdropping i'm listening to conversations i'm again just endlessly fascinated uh by the lives of others so these are others and i wanted to know what their lives were about and that's um not something i set out to do it's just where that question of how did you get this scar uh, that's where that that question led me and i, and I wasn't going to put on the brakes or or mute myself uh, because it was a different gender. I figure, uh, you know, that's what creative writing is all about. Well, where'd you get that scar is r- a really good starting point. I'm very, uh, I'm very jealous. I didn't come up with it. It's, it's a great starting point. And here is hoping that a lot of people set out to uh, discover what uh, scar tissue is all about. That is the name of Jeffrey Hess's next novel, which uh, will be out very shortly on June 12th from Down and Out Books. Uh, Jeffrey, I want to tell you, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Frank. It was great. Always good to see you, man. All right. There you go, folks. Jeffrey Hess. I think uh, Scar Tissue is a cool title, and I love the I love that opening line. It's one of the best opening lines I think I've heard in a long time. Uh, so if you like that kind of crime fiction, I would encourage you to try Jeffrey Hess's work. All right. Uh, the next episode of Wrong Place or Right Crime is the season finale. 
I will be joined by special guest co-host Colin Conway, uh, my good friend and co-author, and we will be interviewing Mark Bergen. Uh, So tune in next episode to hear about Mark's book, uh, Apprehension, some of his short story work, uh, and his experiences as a law enforcement officer in Alexandria, Virginia. That's next episode on Wrong Place, Right Crime, the season finale with special guest co-host Colin Conway and guest Mark Bergen. Uh, Before I go, a quick Zafiro update for you. I've already mentioned my short novel of Baker's Divorce, a dramatic comedy or a comedic drama, whichever you prefer, (laughs) about Cal Baker, an aging rocker who has managed to hold on to celebrity status in the rock and roll world by chasing pretty much every musical trend that's ever come along. Along the way, he was divorced 12 times, and now his 13th wife has told him she wants a divorce. So Cal has uh, set out on a bit of a quest to figure out Why does this keep happening to me? Which, of course, if you look at that question, probably answers part of the reason right there. So uh, that is uh, A Baker's Divorce by Frank Scalise, available in paperback and digital. Uh, Check that out. And coming up next week, uh, a new release in the crime fiction arena, All That This Life Requires, a Jack McRae mystery, number two. The first book in in that series was At This Point of My Life, which I wrote uh, 10 years ago. And so it was a standalone for quite a while before I realized I wanted to revisit uh, Jack McRae and uh, see what he was up to. He has aged since that last book, so uh, he's a little older now. And uh, in this book, he loses someone close to him and then is asked by a relative of that person to uncover a mystery that uh, surprises him even exists. I don't want to say any more. You can check it out online and decide if it uh, is something that you would dig. I will say that there are some moral questions that get asked, and uh, uh, sort of the subtext of the whole book is asking you, the reader, what would you do in this situation? So that is all that this life requires a Jack McRae mystery number two. It will be available in print and digitally on June 21st. And that'll be from my imprint, Code 4 Press. All right, I want to say thank you to Jeffrey for coming on the show, for having a great conversation. Look forward to seeing him again, hopefully in Minneapolis, uh, for BoucherCon in September. Uh, And of course, I want to thank Down and Out Books for sponsoring the program. And most of all, I want to say thank you to you, the listener. Thank you for being here, for listening to these authors and uh, checking out the work of those that interest you. Support the authors whose work you like, and they can keep doing work that you'll like. I'll be back next episode with Mark Bergen and co-host Colin Conway. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you. That sometimes you gotta be in the wrong place to write crime. Mm-hmm.